Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody as right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No one is in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the way. Hello and welcome to episode 231 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. No Alex Jones today, but we are in the trusty hands of Ashley Goff, who's joining us in what seems to be always quite depressing circumstances for him. So uh, do appreciate him joining us today in what I'm sure will be a depressing podcast, actually, for three of us. Um, <laughs> if you if you need to work it out, Jack's the one who's probably not depressed here. But we will get into that, so uh, we'll get there. Who's playing the guitar? Who's that? Is he playing that? The little intro of the liquid data there just to get something. Didn't know what that was. <laughs> anyway, I've got some news in a week, not a lot, but um, some quite some quite good headlines for us to get into. And then, of course, we'll, we'll start with the uh, bad news and then the good news. So, bad news, Chelsea, good news, United, <laughs> um, and then a bit more on all things football. So, News of the week, Tinder launches new Are You Sure feature to prevent inappropriate pickup lines. TK, have you had this pop-up for you yet? Oh, if that's the actual feature, I feel like it would just be one long Are You Sure online. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when you said Are You Sure, it was going to be like, it gives someone like a second option. That's the last thing I need. So like, <laughs> you, you, are you sure you no, want to match well, Yeah, when well, I saw sure, this, <laughs> You swipe on someone who's not getting very many matches and wonder if you're if you mean to be the odd one odd out. Tinder has a way of doing ratings, but come on, love, he's <laughs> you're t- you're two above him. Are you sure? I did used to say back in the day, uh, just not to swipe no on anyone. So like the power's in your hands, and also if you kind of second guess someone that you swipe and they don't swipe you back, then that's quite a kick in the nuts. So. Uh, had to stop that when I accidentally swiped my cousin. Um, <laughs> so, not 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 really been back since. But that, and are you sure would have been good there? Fortunately, we didn't match, so uh, she obviously pays more attention than I do. So, uh, all's well that ends well. Um, scientists say that recent research shows winning the lottery brings more friends. These scientists are at it again. <laughs> yeah. These that might be the worst one yet. <laughs> yeah. the, same, the same scientists that found out that giraffe have an incredible number of neck vertebrae. 
<laughs> so you used to that meme, didn't there, of that bloke who uh, was about 30 stone, and it was like he won the lottery, and the day later he found the love of his life. <laughs> oh, what the chances, yeah. And that um, love of his life was called Jack Harper. <laughs> an athletic alligator with terrible arthritis escapes Wisconsin Zoo. Yes, if an alligator is going to escape, that's the, that's the one you want. I feel like one they of his exes wrote that headline, though, yeah. An athletic alligator. <laughs> um, one we all may have seen, Boris Johnson considered being injected with the COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 infection on live TV. <laughs> Could you, you imagine what? if he had? <laughs> well, we, we've been laughing at Trump and his uh, bleach all this time. He, at least he wasn't saying, give me the virus. Give me the virus, I'll show you. <laughs> I feel like that would have been as close to the opening Black Mirror episode as we're getting because, like, with the politicians we have, and I'm not saying it's the wrong choice, he's definitely letting a member of the royal family die rather than fuck a pig on live TV. <laughs> so, <laughs> him being injected with COVID may have been as close as we'd have come to that episode. <laughs> As I always say, the thing that always gets me with that episode gets to the end of it and like his wife's just shaking her head at him every time he gets through the door like, you're a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got to live with it. Um, <laughs> missing man found dead inside a Spanish dinosaur statue. What? <laughs> yeah. Do, do, have you... I, I, I love the idea of that he's finished his life's work in this model, <laughs> but he's done it from the wrong way. Blocked himself up and thought, you know what? I'm going to live with this. I'm happy with the bones, so I'm not going to be part of it. Did Did any of you see the film Immortals when it came out back in the day? Because there was some like torture thing they had on there, one of them like gladiator films, and they have like a like an elephant kind of. Uh, almost like a furnace in the end that they just put these people in and then heated up the outside. So it seems like a similar kind of thing. Um, obviously, I didn't click the headline, so I don't know if it's like <laughs> mysterious, why there wasn't a smell coming out of this statue. Or, maybe you designed it that way. Or how they eventually thought, maybe we best check here. So I, 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 I don't know. A lot of unanswered questions. Uh Plague of ravenous, destructive mice are tormenting Australians. Good thing you're not there anymore, Goff. I've actually seen this. It's like people going in and opening their cupboards and like 400 mice in their cupboards. Christ. Just when they think they can't, they can't catch a break. They've got every deadly that, creature yeah. in there and then the mice. They've not had it easy, have they? They've got all those creatures. They've got bushfires and whatnot. They don't show... Peppa Pig there I saw on Facebook because uh, they say how you should trust uh, spiders and things but obviously over in Australia they, they want to encourage the kids not to go and pick up whatever spider you see <laughs> <laughs> I think we spoke back in the day about Australia losing a war to emus as well which <laughs> never fails to amuse me thing is, great like, e the great that? emu war of 1932 how do you get around it just bite a fuckload of cats is that literally the only way around this yeah, oh, the mice thing, yeah. I'm not, that's what we had last week, wasn't it, when they tried letting out uh, stray cats to deal with something else that was in the streets. 
then you just have a plague of cats left over. <laughs> yeah. sure. we, just, we just keep building up. Then we'll put dogs on the street to get the cats. <laughs> we had a mouse um, in our house the other, uh, the other day. I think one of the cats brought it in, and my mum just spotted it running out of my shoe, caught it nibbling her slipper. Got rid, and then I did see one of the cats pick one up yesterday, and our ruthless cats are by. I was trying to shoo the cat to drop it, and I could just see the mouse's little feet kicking. Well, in their mouth, it was quite grim. So they've been outside the majority of the time, uh, not letting them back in. While it's warm like this, they can do what they need to do. They can't um, be serial killers. Exactly. Um, man breaks into Nashville bakery, doesn't get away with much dough. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Texas woman fired after climbing into monkey enclosure and feeding them flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> Did you see that thing I sent you earlier about how Pablo Escobar... like? I was going to bring up the hippos yeah. instead of an emus. That's phenomenal. <laughs> they just gave up was the best bit. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he had a sanctuary that he had himself with uh, 30 hippopotamus in there. And then when they tried getting rid of them, they just now live in the lakes outside Medellin. And the Colombian government has lost 10 men trying to recapture them. And in the end, they just gave up. Do you know hippopotamus um, kill more humans than any other animals every year? They're responsible yeah, they're, for around 2,900 deaths. They're dangerous things. They yeah. don't eat you either. They're like, they, they, they essentially just kill for fun. They're like vegans, but they just like, they're like murderous <laughs> vegans. <laughs> so all these, all these like <laughs> government agents, they've just been like trodden on or whatever and then just left there. And I don't know if that's any consolation to you as a person or not. At least you'd rather, I guess, be killed for a reason and that they want to eat you. Not they just want to play around with you. Because I saw the cat after, once the mouse was dead, just flicking it around on the patio. Like it was just having the time of its life. It was making me feel a bit ill in the end. Um, London police sees seven million after spotting a man struggling to carry bags stuffed with cash. <sighs> Tough break. Maybe that's one where you take several trips. <laughs> or get a bigger bag. Uh, wouldn't be a news of the week without something happening in Florida. Florida woman upset over tomato thickness throws Whopper and shouts racial slurs at Burger King employee. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know if the tomato is too thick or not thick enough. And I mean, finally... Fine line. Uh, yeah. Man orders penis enlarger online, receives magnifying glass instead. Played him. Pounced on desperation there. <laughs> he showed a weakness. Did you get the shopping on Wish? <laughs> anyway, we do eventually have to get to the sport. So the question here that we're leading with, how much blame does Pep need to take for what we're going to endure from Jack today. <laughs> Jack, I thought the way to go around this is, I've got kind of the talking points of the game, so if we go for each one, you give us your take, and then we'll kind of do a collective take afterwards. Go on then, yeah, sounds good. So, I imagine you're sat there nervously, as you told us. I mean, you, you said that you were struggling to do the movie podcast on Thursday because you were so nervous, and that was over uh, 48 <laughs> hours prior. Mate, it was um, horrible. We did then go for nearly three hours on that podcast after Jack said beforehand. I don't know, he did three hours last week, so it was a long <laughs> slog talking about Toy Story and Django Unchained. 
check that out if uh, you haven't already. Keenan did complain at one point that we hadn't had enough tangents, so that maybe shows you the way the podcast was going. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, actually, I'll ask uh, Goff and TK, as always, this week on Movie Mad, this out Friday, we're doing Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Sorcerer's Stone, if you're American, uh, up against the Goonies. Which is your preference? Who wants to go first, TK? Oh, all right. That's tough. I'll go with Harry Potter, but narrow. And I'm going to admit that I've never watched The Goonies. Wow. Ever. I know. I know. You'll be shocked to know that it's another two films Keenan doesn't like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Unsure yeah, this was Harry, the pod- Harry Potter this... and the Philosopher's Stone, the acting in that is absolutely awful. It makes you cringe a bit looking back. Yeah. Some of the some of the questions that you'll want answered that we're going to get into on Thursday. Um, would you like Harry Potter if you joined your school? Um, <laughs> if they replaced the game of chess with any other board game, what would you do? I think Jack messaged me saying Buckaroo recently, so that could be <laughs> quite something. And uh, many more questions you didn't know you wanted the answers to. So uh, Friday, that podcast will be out on all platforms. And we should have shoot back if he's not using the excuse that he's meeting his work friends for the first time again for the third week run. <laughs> ask, ask the big questions, that pod. Ask the boys if they had a potential sticker on Hermione in that first film. Ask in if the they first called one. it early on. <laughs> we were similar age golf at the time, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Most people called it after Azkaban, but they, who went early? That's the question. <laughs> we'll get there, I'm sure. Um, Probably through Sean. So, Jack, you check the lineups at 7 p.m. You see Zinchenko starting over Cancelo. You see a midfield without Fernandinho or Rodri and no recognised striker. What are you thinking at this point? Your lineup, their lineup. Right, my, my initial thought, I mean, to give you a bit of where my, the base was for me, was the night before I barely slept because I had a nightmare that we were playing City and each time they scored, I woke up and I was like, fuck. We hadn't played him yet, it's okay. And I went back to sleep and they scored another. And it was, just, it was one of those. And I think it just kind of crescendoed the whole week of just anxious energy that was channeling through me. Get there, see the lineup, and I think Pep's, Pep's gone bold here. Like, he's, he's got spooked. And we said this before where he went one way with the first game in the FA Cup, didn't quite work. And went another way in the league game. Again, that didn't work either. So we thought, you know what he's going to do? He's going to try and. He's, he's basically waging on he's going to have all of the possession. So he isn't going to need a holding midfielder against a counter-attacking team with Kante in it. Which, like, you know, I, I accept that Pep Guardiola will know millions, eons more about football than I will. But sometimes something's so blaringly obvious that not having a holding midfielder against a team that likes to hold the ball with um, Jorginho and it's a tendency to chase after you with Kante does seem a bit rash, especially when they play with three forwards. Um, but, yeah, I, I saw it and I thought, it's, it's great because it's just, just another stick to beat him with if we do manage to kind of get a result here. I felt more confident in that, actually. Um, really? Part of yeah. me, I think, in your shoes, I'd have been worried that it, it, could, it could be an annihilation. I think what the pundit said beforehand, like, this is either going to be very close with the way they've set up or if goes to plan as Pep wanted it, it, it could have been a hammering 
it's funny as well because I mean I will get to it through your talking points I'm sure yeah. but the way the game pans out I'll let I don't know I don't want to tread on any toes but yeah no, no. I'm going to go through that um, but yeah I, I saw the lineups and I thought because basically the Chelsea team picks itself I saw this amazing meme going around on Twitter earlier of um, it just says like Tom, Thomas Tuchel says right we're just going to play the exact same way as we always play and then um, I think it comes over like Mason Mount saying, but won't yeah. you be expecting that? And then Guardiola is, like, is unveiled. And that's basically yeah. what happens. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> I saw a headline saying you kept it simple and then relied on Pep to twist. Yeah. Um, pretty much that, as you said. That, that is kind of how it felt in a way that this is our, this is our system, this is how we play. We'll worry about us. We come unstuck against teams that sit in against us because we find them hard to break down. But if you're going to try and keep possession, we will create space. And that's exactly so, what. If I go to UTK, and I know we've got the benefit of hindsight here, but just to look a bit further at City's uh, lineup. So, in playing Sterling, which was one of the surprises, he's moved Foden away from the left hand side where he's been in the form that he's been in. And Amongst the chaos that took place when the midfield was unveiled, was that something that stood out to you? Uh, I think I was probably shocked enough with the lack of a holding midfield that that didn't register too much. He does change up the attackers a fair bit, doesn't he? Um, Playing Sterling, uh, I mean, he's bang out of form. I, I don't know. You know, you'd rather have... Most most of the options they've got over Sterling right now, but uh, it, it was the whole midfield where he's over four. And I I couldn't understand not playing Cancelo at left back over Zinchenko. I thought I, again, this is very much using hindsight to my benefit. But he was doing that I, thing, wasn't he, where you you have the formation in and out of it, where it's essentially you're trying out another midfielder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean this. A classic case of Pepe overthinking. It looks like on paper, doesn't it? I don't necessarily know that was the reason for the loss. I don't know if that was the, you know, I think it's potentially being, I I don't, is it being overplayed? Maybe a little bit in the reason for the loss. I think Chelsea were just good. And look, as a young man did say on the pod last week that I think Chelsea have just got City's number and I think Chelsea win. I don't know who he was, but (laughs) he's obviously very good at this prediction. Other than Man United beating Villarreal, (laughs) sorry, he didn't get that one right. I can tell you on that, actually. So, um, obviously, as you just said, this was City's third loss in as many games against Chelsea. So, this is the third time that Guardiola's lost three consecutive games against a single opponent. Do you know who the other two are? I know Mm. one's... Well, I'll let TK have the glory if he knows it. But I do know one of them. I imagine TK Uh, should know one of them. I was going to say, I'm I'm saying we we must have been (laughs) one. Yeah, you were... Yeah, so um, he lost three straight to Liverpool um, January to April 2018 and also to Real Madrid 2012 to 2014. Um, Goff, if we bring you in, so looking at from what we gather now, Guardiola's tactics were designed for City essentially to score early and then have all the possession with the players that they have in that midfield and kind of pass Chelsea in submission. Does it feel just a bit too similar because... We spoke, obviously, on the podcast. You, you haven't been on, but 
all through when we've been saying who's the favourite for the Champions League, we've essentially said, well, City should be, but you'd imagine City are going to be the ones to beat themselves. Did it feel a bit too similar to the Monaco, Liverpool and Lyon exits where he's done too many changes and left the players a bit unsure of what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, I think Jack touched on it slightly when he said, obviously, Pep started to overthink it and maybe it has gone into his head a bit, the previous results. And if he had just kept it simple. I, I know that when when he's had success before by, I don't know, he plays Foden as the attacking as the, as the main attacker or yeah. or Mares through the middle, we all we're all quick to call him a genius. So as much as we're quick to jump on that bandwagon, then he also does have to take the blame. I think for when it does go wrong, it just so happened that he was perhaps you could say ballsy or cocky enough to do it in a Champions League final. Whereas the situation probably called for him to probably just stick to the system he knows. Yes, it might not have worked against Chelsea before, but yeah, it's just a case of him probably overthinking it and where Chelsea obviously just concentrated on themselves. I think City probably should have done the same. Yeah. Well, I've got some stats to uh, give you. I'm getting some rustling from someone. I don't know which one of you it is. No wrestler. Before we go into it, I just want to kind of make yeah. a bit of comment on the kind of build-up to the game, especially like in the last week. It's got to the point where I've had to turn off all media outlets, like radio. I've had to like mute stuff on Twitter because it almost seemed like it was City's homecoming. It was almost like City this, City that. Oh yeah, Chelsea was a bit of an afterthought. I know pundits were saying that, oh, they didn't play their real team when they played him in the two times previously. They'll have the big boys out this time and all of this. I was like, oh, you could change that City team with nine players and it still look like a championship winning team. Why they win a lot of competitions because they have that rotational ability. But it's it just seemed as if we'd been written off. I think you might have some paranoia coming in here, Jack. It's always the way, whether it's United is going to be the same, Villarreal could say the same thing like, it's, it's true, but it's also with both English teams, whereas you're going to have a more biased account of the Man United coverage because yeah. of the English outlet. I mean, but Pep is the star of the two teams, isn't he? I, but I, I don't know, Lee, is that, is that your perception of it, that this that they had more build-up than Chelsea? For, just from the no, honest, I mean, it was outside certainly... looking in, Jack, I, I don't see what you've seen there, but maybe yeah. as a fan you're going to be more uh, sensitive was... to this than I am. I, haven't, I didn't really clock that myself. I agree with Jack that there an was edge, certainly... An edge to them, maybe, but... Yeah. It, there was certainly like, this is is this city's kind of coming out party. This is what they brought Pep in to do. Um, mm. Obviously, they're the league champions, which helps a bit. A lot of the focus on Chelsea was they've just lost the FA Cup final. They just mm. lost to Aston Villa, which you could kind of call a cup final as well because yeah, they really yeah. needed to win that. To, yeah. They thought to come into the top four, and what's going to happen here? So when you look at kind of how the stock was. Stock at City was in an all-time high and Stock at Chelsea, since True. Tuchel came in, was at an all-time low. So I think it was just kind of... You've also got the effect of the Gallagher's bring a certain level of, as you saw before and after the game, they had them on the, co- the coverage. So I think there's a lot more to get into with City than there is. De Bruyne is kind of the I, star I player across I, the two teams. I guess e- even the, the basis... That they haven't won it in Chelsea have, I guess there is even yeah. something there, mm-hmm. isn't there? I, I yeah, that, that promo BT Sport did before the game was, was excellent. That's, 
of all the negative things about them, they're great for the UFC as well. They, they can cut a promo, can't they? Yeah, yeah you're right. They're, they're brilliant at it. Um, I've got some stats to kind of break down things as we go. I mean, a lot of the focus was on Kante post-game as uh, as was fair. So, player of the match didn't concede a single foul the whole game. Uh, and he did that while winning the most duels in 11 making the most ball recoveries in 10. And uh, he won the most aerial battles as well, while also being statistically the shortest man on the field. Amazing. Jesus Christ. Um, the guy is just a machine. You, you can say whether you were in this seg- segment or not, Jack. There was certainly a large portion of Chelsea fans, I won't say the majority, that were calling... Kante finished from the end of last season to the start of this season and a lot of the reason why certain Chelsea fans warmed to the idea of someone like Declan Rice was because they thought maybe Kante didn't have it anymore. There's a lot of discussion about whether he should be sold or not and then since Tuchel's come in and this Champions League run in particular the guy has shown, I guess what we knew already, it's not like a new level he's shown us, he's just shown that he's still got it. Yeah, I think I mean, there was a ve- there was loads of discussion around. Oh, do we cash in for say between eighty and a hundred mil for him now? He's he's getting injured quite a bit, but thought his legs were gone as well, didn't they? Yeah, and it's he did spend a lot of time of last season out injured, and we missed him a lot. And is that part of that? But Tuchel, I have to say, has managed him perfectly with that. He'll manage his game load a lot, especially this season when his game's been twice, even sometimes three times a week. He has kind of picked and choose when he needed to use him. Um, and it's it's like if you have a Ferrari, you're not going to be driving around on a long distance journey, are you? And it's it's managing when you did. use it. Um, <laughs> but, but to say to say that as well is his engine is absolutely insane. It's it's kind of almost rewritten the Macaulay role because I feel he's better at recovering the ball than Macaulay, but he's also better at driving the team forward. I Him know recovering the ball and not passing it to another player to let them play with it, means that he can travel with the ball and there's one more option in an attack, which is massive when you're especially playing with two wing-backs and three forward players. That's how we always seem to have our space, him winning the ball and then running with it. Question for you here. So I know uh, you're not one to be giving much praise to Sari anywhere that you have to, and even when you have to, sometimes you're still not willing to give it. But... He got a lot of stick when he came in. He did an interview where he said that he doesn't see Kante as just a central defensive midfielder. And he got a lot of criticism about that. And up until he was sacked, that happened so much to the point where I remember a journalist thought he was going to get kind of a, a rise out of Lampard when he said, I assume you don't agree with, with Sari in, uh, that you, you see he's a central defensive midfielder. And Lampard said the same thing. And he said, well, no, I think there's a lot more to his game than him just being that. And mm. I guess that ties in with what you've just said there, where the, the way he progresses the ball and everything, he, he's not just a guy that's in there flinging himself into tackles. Exactly. To coin like a tickle phrase, he's almost a double six where he will sit, but he can break at the same time and use his pace. And he's got so much better on the ball as well. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, he's not just a centre defensive mid, but he plays best whilst in the middle. Yeah, that's the thing that Tuchel's right. done, isn't it? Yeah, right he's, he's got that position just right. Yeah, right centre mid is not where you want to be playing him, but he goes on one of his runs and right wing back can fit in. 
because you're not missing a person from the midfield where we get overloaded, which is what happened under Frank a lot, where Kante and Kovacic are both broken together and there's just no midfield. So the system works so much better and Kante is really benefiting from that. So a couple more bits on Pep then. So Man City had an XG, I know we've branched into that a little more over the past season, of 0.59 in the final. That's the second lowest they've ever had in a game under Pep Guardiola. The lowest was 0.42 in a loss to Liverpool in December 2016. So in five years, the least productivity they've had in attack. And I don't want it to be misconstrued from my end when I say about Pep beforehand. Chelsea did obviously play a phenomenal game. There was nothing where you could say after that they didn't deserve to win as Tuchel has uh, complained about a lot in the last couple of weeks in that they did deserve to win. This wasn't the case for all of Man City, what they planned to do. Chelsea didn't ever really look like losing the game until maybe the last five minutes when there was a couple of chances. I thought when I saw the lineup from Pep that it was fair enough, I understood what he was trying to do, that as brave as you are in selection, you have to be as brave in your changes then afterwards. And Unai Emery, who we'll get onto a little later in the show, one of the things that he was praised for at Arsenal was that when he got things wrong, he didn't hesitate to make the change. And I don't think we're perhaps having such a conversation about Fernandinho and Rodri, etc. now. If he doesn't wait 65 minutes to then begrudgingly bring him on after mm-hmm. he's then already had to take off De Bruyne at this stage. So I think he just stuck with it a bit too long. And then as far as Chelsea go, I mean, we, we, we reference another Chelsea fan on the podcast a lot. Uh, surname rhymes with Waft. And I know uh, Keenan watched the game with him. And he said it, it's as unanimated as he's ever seen him in a Chelsea game because there wasn't really too much to be worried about while it was going on. Uh, I, I, wanna, I want to know what his habit he was having because I was heart was coming up best for me. <laughs> I can um, guess what he was having. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't think I'd be bringing him down though. <laughs> uh, I, I actually watched it with my dad and my mate um, who's actually a Liverpool fan and he was almost like a calm and element because he's like, mate, you have absolutely nothing to worry about here. This, this doesn't, this looks like you're going to hold on. I'm like, stop saying that. Just, yeah. just leave it alone. Didn't even need to say it, but it was a depressing watch for the rest of us. And I don't know about Goff, but I would assume he wasn't cheering on Chelsea. Um, I, I was very confused. Could have lost, yeah, then I'd have been happy. It was weird though to see it was weird opening. to see City. Uh, sorry, it was weird just to see City smashing long balls as the game went on. Yeah, like you just don't expect that from a City team, and that's obviously just a testament to how well Chelsea were playing. I've actually got this written down in my notes that it is something beautiful to see a Pep Guardiola team resort to the long throw-in. Like, yeah. it's just something that you're not... And like, it's almost like at that moment you know that they've got nothing left. Like, they're literally just hoofing it into the area and hoping for the best now, which I guess you've got to do in a cut final, but they started with that long ball. To be fair, we nearly got undone by it, by Edison in like the first half and Sterling. It was just a good recovery from Rhys James. But... And Sterling, as we've said many times, um, he's yeah. the last person you really want in that situation. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it was just, it was weird because the, it started off like end to end. They'd have a chance. We made a few last ditch challenges. Yeah. We had a couple of shots where they could have fucking scored twice. 
Um, but yeah, that's the way the final's going. With that, I, I don't know if that helped Chelsea, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but um, we see a lot of times in boxing where you have a guy, and you saw it with uh, Canelo Golovkin's an example, where sometimes it takes you taking kind of the other guy's big punch to settle yourself down and you know that kind of you can play your game now. And so mm. in that first five, ten minutes when you did go toe-to-toe with City and uh, if anything, you came out the better, clearly. Yeah. It may have settled Chelsea a bit because right from the first whistle, City looked shit scared. And I spoke with Keenan last night and said, City now are going to be tired with the front runner's brush because I was going to say other than, which is a hard one to go against. That title race with City, uh, with Liverpool, obviously goes the opposite way. But in the Champions League, when we've seen them come under any kind of real pressure, they've buckled. I mean, the PSG game, it took going through the wall and through Navas to turn the game around, and then they obviously came into it. Mm. This time around, I don't know if it was the structure, if it was what... They looked just completely overruled by the occasion. I was I was thinking this. I was looking at them thinking, I don't know how many of you I would back to sort of... Sounds an odd thing to say about such a successful team, but to overcome adversity, I, I don't Stones know how looks. many of you I would back to. Maybe like Ruben Diaz looks like he's got a bit about him, but not many of them, certainly in the attacking sense, that you thought would take responsibility for this. Um, right. And in right. contrast, I thought Chelsea tend to play better when they have a bit of nerves, when they've got mm. something to worry about. I don't mm. think it's a huge coincidence that they got spanked by West Brom, for example. Yeah. I know West Brom had a freakish game, but it's that small nice. sort of teams where Chelsea kind of go in thinking that it's going to be a walk in the park. Yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm overlooking an FA Cup final within that. Something but to do with Chelsea and their comfort. Um, and you, you know how I feel about uh, Petr Cech. Um, <laughs> but I saw an interview that he did where he said that he learnt a lot from Baku, which, again, we didn't need to hear much more about. <laughs> Unai Emery went the way where you get down early, you train a couple of times on the pitch and you, familiar, you familiarise yourself as much as possible. And I guess sometimes one of the things we don't consider there is that for the rest of the time, the players are stuck in a hotel room somewhere they don't really want to be. And so he said that he arranged it himself and Chelsea flew down at quite literally the latest point possible that they could do. So they were as comfortable as they could be. And there wasn't any kind of hanging around, just kind of thinking about how the game was going to go. I guess may come in where you say about how settled they were going into the game. I don't know if that necessarily determines who wins and who loses. I'm not saying we would have won back if we go down yeah. if we go down later, but there's a lot there's a lot of comes into how you kind of feel in a cup final and Chelsea look far more comfortable than City did. Yeah, agreed. I think as well they we did it before the Munich final and I know that we did it this time. We went a walk for a walk around the city. It's almost like just taking the sights, relax. So, like you said, so they're not all cooped up in a in a hotel, especially yeah. in COVID, they can't go and do anything with you if they wanted to. So that would just calm the nerves. I think it's it's weird because I think because these lads have all been with each other since, well, a lot of them, about six of them have been together since like the youth team where they've gone on away trips and won the youth Champions League. I know it's completely different to the Champions League, but they seem like a more cohesive group than City did for some reason for a team that's won all they have. And you've got a lot of news coming out this week of Laporta and Sterling and sometimes Rodri as well saying... We'll get on to Sterling, not, he's been linked with us typically. Yeah, they're not they're not <laughs> the same time or not, whereas this group just seem happy to pitch in. And I think 
to go back to go back to the game, I think like we said, those first little jabs from Werner where he could have scored both. That kind of spooked <laughs> the defence almost. That if you actually watch it back for their goal, uh, for our goal, sorry, he makes a dart and run. There's two players on mount for some reason. He makes a dart and run towards the corner flag, and uh, I think it was John Stones was so scared he just trotted straight after him and left a massive yeah. hole for Habits to run into. Which Mendy's distribution was brilliant. He, he tried that ball about three, four times, and it yeah. was it was on clearly because he was spamming it where they'd obviously been drilled. To yeah, play that ball, you could tell. Um, and obviously, all you need is it to work once. I, I thought there's two players I wanted us to talk about one being Kai Havertz, one being De Bruyne. I don't know which one you want to start with. I'll go with De Bruyne first if that's what you okay. guys. So, one thing I didn't want to gloss over is I know the injury, and we'll certainly talk about that. He was anonymous up to that point. Some of it, Pep Guardiola's the way he's positioned him, but. He was thinking the place out. I don't want that to be overlooked <laughs> just so, because of the way he went off. Like, he did nothing. Yeah, I no, think no, I a lot of the way City play, and what, from what I, I've been watching a few City games I've, when I can, to kind of try and mentally prepare myself for what's going to happen. <laughs> and they like to get in behind and cut it back. That is their main force of attack. So when they weren't getting in behind in the channels down the wings, the, the point doesn't have the ball in the middle. They get down the wings and cut it back. They don't put it into the middle and put it wide. So if you're not getting in behind and you've got a false nine in the point, just stood around doing nothing in the middle, again, you probably would have dropped, should have dropped in deeper, switched in, switched around the front three maybe, um, if I was Guardiola there. But I think we knew how they were going to hurt us and we kind of nullified it. And that's why they resorted to the long balls because you're right, De Bruyne was anonymous. He put didn't have one of those runs where he picks it up deep and runs forward, plays a one-two and gets a shot away. Didn't even get a chance because of having to be on the last man. Um, did, you, did you see the interviews pre-game? I don't know how tuned in you were. They asked Tuchel, they say, what do you think about uh, Man City's lineup?" And he had quite the smirk on his face. And it wasn't <laughs> like a nervous smirk at all. It was like, they said, oh, it looks a bit weird. Then he kind of broke down briefly, like they're playing this, they're playing that. Um, that's quite understandable kind of what they're doing mm. so if if the idea of Pep was to do that and it, you, if you compare the two interviews Pep was a nervous wreck himself in the interviews yeah. he kept doing that thing like he, he was kind of doing a half smirk and then kind of like like when you when you have a small talk with someone you don't want to speak to and you kind of angling like mm-hmm. can I get away <laughs> yeah. yeah and he was doing that and they were asking about the team and he was like oh, what do you think about Chelsea's team well there's Tuchel there when you go and ask him he, <laughs> he just wasn't Having a lot, but then the De Bruyne injury. I think Rudiger's got off lightly here, and I'm not saying it should be a red card, but just the kind of reaction to it. He seems to be one who, in the media, gets off as lightly as any for for the complete piece of shit that he is. He's a <laughs> vile, vile bloke. I can't stand him. Every and... team needs him, mate. Every team needs. Oh, I was actually. I was thinking you've got Aston Aquetta in there as well, though. You've yeah, got some in. I was my thinking... thing was like, say this is in a Premier League game, and that challenge is made by Ashley Barnes of Burnley. He's getting far more, far more shit than what Rudiger mm. did. Rudiger, they yeah. kind of just oh, it's a bit of a coming together. Unfortunately, De Bruyne's come off. He's he's quite literally ran towards De Bruyne to check his path. That's not an accidental thing. And it's probably what he should be doing in his position because he breaks up an attack. Yeah. And it's a freak way that it ends. But 
the, they said nothing about it on commentary as to kind of what a dirty play it was when it's as cheap as it can be. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking during the day, I was just in my kind of nervous, anxious, kind of rocking back and forth. I was thinking, is there a way that we can injure De Bruyne without getting a player sent off? Like, is there a way we can do it? it yes, yes, there is. I have to curse me when I laughed at Pulisic going off in the FA Cup final. <laughs> oh, but it's on the other foot now, man. And it, fit, it fits so well. <laughs> I can't, can't stand really good cheerleaders. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic bit of play when you look at it. Like, if there's one team that I want a, ta- a tactical foul to really detriment, it's them. Because City are the kings of the tactical foul, yeah. So but the if, thing is, like, if, if he's running on here. You got to take the rough with the smooth, and in this time, the rough was a broken orbit. Very rough. And that's a move. That's a move that's illegal in ice hockey. And you look <laughs> at what you get away with there. City do it all say, the time. So pardon? City do it all the time. They just obviously what didn't. Not like that. City are more of like they'll kick your heels away as, as, as you run into. It's and annoying little like, fouls more with them. That yeah. one and cities are far more uh, snide. That one's yeah. as blatant as it can be. The ref, I mean, he, he had a blue shirt on under his referee and what I've never seen anything like it. He was backing <laughs> up Tuchel before the game was even finished. <laughs> <laughs> With that challenge, though, I think it's obviously just made worse by the fact of it's hit him in the face and obviously caused that injury. Yeah. If he if he sits him anywhere else in the body, you wouldn't have such a reaction, would you? No. I don't it, know what it, he's made out of, really. It, if, if he springs up, after getting some treatment and the game goes on, nothing said about that challenge. Yeah, it wasn't that that's, that's quite a big if, though, isn't it, lads? I mean, if yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I didn't, if I didn't just break your leg, you know, yeah. if I'd just done that to nothing, it would have been sad. He must be made of some stern stuff, though, Rudiger, because oh, he's that... made out of concrete, mate. If you remember the um, game against Leicester at Stamford Bridge, where he was just taking on the whole team, no, just... that was that was ridiculous because that whole thing of crying, oh, we threw a pendant. Chelsea have been one of the most disrespectful teams that we possibly had over the last 10, 15 years in England. How's that? How have you come to that conclusion? What have we done? Well, you didn't let, you, you, you didn't let your black fans on the bus for a start. <laughs> when was that? Uh, PSG away, was it? 2012, 13? Is there an incident on the tube as well? <laughs> I mean, the Chelsea, I, I, I yeah, don't know was... how Jack's even... Com- because he bragged about being a vile team on the podcast. <laughs> so to gloss over this now, uh, so I'm fair, just saying, no, I'm, Chelsea have been as vile a bunch as you can have. Uh, and then I'm this not... little thing, a bloke celebrating a cup final, Daniel Amati, chucks that little pendant behind him. And because of the fact he's about two feet smaller than Rüdiger, Rüdiger wants to be the big man. Well, no, he doesn't Daniel, do that. Daniel Amati was actually on the bench. He runs over off the bench. That's what he wasn't even on the pitch. He so goes to kick get, the ball back on the pitch. You get you're getting players mixed up, which uh, doesn't reflect well on you, mate. <laughs> I'm not. It was Daniel Amati, yeah, who on the sidelines, and he goes to kick the ball back on the pitch, and Rudiger goes to give it a big one. Amati's <laughs> the one who was chucking the stuff in the dressing room, wasn't it? And Rudiger yeah, said, how, how "We had to already, we had if, to teach him a lesson." How, oh, how well done, you. Full swing already by that point. Daniel Amati was just trying to get in on the action, and then he recognised who he was, and they weren't having it. He's a vile bloke, and when when uh, five of the back tax wears off next season, because I'll remind you, as I did last week, the formation that Tuchel's player now had Mustafi looking like a competent defender for three months uh, last season. 
He didn't win um, the Champions League though, so I think. Well, you have to be in it to win it. Um, so, well, I'm saying what my point is: Arteta worked out how you play against this formation. Dean Smith worked out how you play against this formation. We're just you're just very fortunate. The pet card, the old freak that he is, <laughs> for some reason, didn't work out that you you play through the middle of it rather yeah. than do all the planning around that they were doing. But Kai Havertz, a a guy who I've sung his uh, praises on here, perhaps many when we shouldn't have been, did say you want him in your false nine. Me and TK did give him the guaranteed success tag, which I guess we'd have to say now has paid off and broken the curse. Yeah. I don't know. I think... Well, uh, you score a winner in a Champions League final, it's hard to say that you're not a success. Yeah. All right, drop X amount of money on Divock Origi and we have to go, OK, it's a success because he scored in the Champions League final, do we? Well, if it was the winner, then I might say... I think, might we're, say, uh, yeah. I think we're forecasting what we think Havertz is going to do if we call it a success. I think anyway, we're going off on a tangent here, but I think I think this will probably be a catalyst to him being very good. I'm sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason why this formation works is because of how many chances it creates, and as soon as we get better at putting them away, the better. And I think going Havertz and Werner, for that matter, both play the best in this formation. We've got like a floating forward where someone makes a run and it creates a mountain of space for someone else and. How it has been coming into some pretty decent form towards the end of the season. I've run a horror miss against Arsenal, and again, it's a different conversation. But his, he got injured and he missed the last couple of games where we did falter up front a little bit. And it was just, he's looking like a player. He's looking like he wants the ball. He runs at players now, which he wasn't doing before. Um, he's taken, his whole body language and everything looks different to how he yeah. did at the start he's just so much more confident it looks exactly. more like the player we saw in Germany exactly that's what, that. that's like what he, Frank does to you he runs you he looks like he's gliding around the pitch whereas before he looked like he had the world on his shoulders. it was an he's effort going, yeah punched over not looking around for the pass he's not looking for around for the position whereas now it's kind of like right I've got the ball you come and take it from me and I mean, we should have had a goal with Pulisic, which I believe he set up as well. By running How I can tell you why. Up. I backed uh, Pulisic next score at 12-1. to 1. Oh. And oh. then he does that. That's disgusting. Um, but yeah, that play there, I think... I mean, don't get me wrong, City were chasing the game at that point, but that's why the first goal I said to everyone that would listen to me, which was not many people in the end... Um, that whoever gets the first goal in this game, it, it's massive. Because if we get it, I, I back us to hold it. Because City will have to come right out of us. And that's where we perform well when someone else is chasing the game. Someone else gets the ball and they want to sit behind it. That's where we really struggle. I think um, there was prison canteen stuff going on. Lampard's been nicking Havertz's lunch for <laughs> his whole duration. He was weak. That's why he wasn't working as the target man. Tuchel comes in. He says, go on, you're a growing lad. You have all you need. <laughs> New man. Um, I've got a quote here from Pep Guardiola, which he actually said uh, two days before the game, which I thought was worth looking at. So he was speaking to Rio Ferdinand for all of his sins. And he said, uh, I didn't come here because the club said you have to win the Champions League. If I went to United, Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid, you'd always hear you have to win the Champions League. I do not feel that pressure here. The only pressure I feel here to play your team like the way why you took over. You took over to play a certain way. You have to do everything this way. 
So that was pre-game saying he doesn't have to win. He knows he does. He knows that's why he's there. Mm. I mean, that that hoodoo of not winning the Champions League without Messi is becoming larger by... The I don't think... It, because plenty of other Barcelona managers have failed to win the Champions League with Messi. No, mm. it's true. But that, that team that he had, which was probably the best club team ever in the history of the world, that again, it picks itself. The position it certainly makes it easier, but it's very much like when you had... This is how the league table would be if Liverpool didn't have Suarez. And it's like, well, no, I, <laughs> quite a big if in that I, situation. I get it to a degree, but again, that team was also where he kind of came from the Barcelona B management to then managing the first team. And they had big characters there, which kind of set the team in its place. Whereas now he, he's got all of his, his domestic success and then he meddles with the team too much because he gets not ahead of himself, but that team, if he put out the team that he usually plays in the Premier League, week in, week out, the front three of Mares, Foden, and then whoever you want in the nine, and then two holders in De Bruyne, I reckon it goes a different way. It's it's just overthinking with Pep. He he definitely has a burner account where he shares that <laughs> meme, the birds share, like me trying to get to sleep with 10,000 thoughts <laughs> going around your head. <laughs> that's, well, this is, that's, that's the point I was trying to make before, where... He didn't need to overthink with that Barcelona nah. team because where else are you putting Xavi in Iniesta? Mm. Like, whereas now he has the tendency to then think, oh, well, what if I do this? Or what if I do that? Whereas if he just puts out the straight City team that he usually plays with, again, I think it performs differently. I mean, I you think he did well to win it with Xavi. Look at how he's doing in Qatar. <laughs> yeah. As I, I told mean, you. Just to, just to look at that goal that we scored where it was completely defence-splitting because we had Werner pulling away their centre-back and they had no midfielders on the block. It was just a You've got a thing. take on this, TK, with Havertz and the touch he takes. I don't. I thought yeah. you said this on Saturday. He'd overhit it. I think Sean said that. OK, well, Sean said he overhit it then. I think that was one of those where it, it looks like it does because people would say, oh, maybe Edison should just get out of the way. Like, I'm not sure he can do that. Just imagine him just getting out of the way and just hoping. He did kind of get out of the way and that's what, if he put his arm out, he probably would have got He the kind of ended up somewhere between, didn't he? Didn't fully commit yeah. to wiping him out and didn't didn't pull out. So he ended up somewhere in between. The thing I, the thing I will say that just yeah. touched on what Jack said there, I think to... The, the thing with Pep overthinking is, is valid. I, th- I do think in this instance it's partly overplayed just in the sense that I think Jack's right that he would have given himself the best chance to win had he played the team he normally plays with City. But we have also seen him play those teams and not be able to beat Chelsea. I do just think, style-wise, these two teams just match up badly for City. And the two teams don't really change how they play. And the two cool Chelsea plays a certain way. Pep play how they, Pep's teams play how they play. And we've seen that in this equation, that leads to a Chelsea win as it stands. City had to change something, in, and they weren't able to. They weren't able to break them down. I think it, again, it though, that like... goes back to the team selection, though, where if you go with your normal team, you give yourself chance to to read the game and then adjust accordingly. You can change, yeah. It's, it's, I, I remember when it was Liverpool City back in December, and Klopp went with all four forwards, and it was kind of like. If you don't score straight away and you don't yeah, yeah. in the first 20 minutes, you give yourself no room for manoeuvre. 
and we, we were we were running precious low on options at this point. We were just thinking, I'm running out of ideas. What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> All right, just play four forwards. We'll do that one. Yeah. It's just over complicating it. It's it's like when you play the, thing... the game and you try and like, oh, I'm just going to win it. I'm just going to do this with a pistol. I'm going to do this with just my left hand. There's no. The other thing you said with the with the De Bruyne with yeah. the substitutions, the problem being, if you don't have the holding midfielders on, then you're chasing the game and suddenly you're putting Rodri on and you think, well, this isn't really what we needed. We needed, if you start him and then you can take him off for a more attacking option, mm. it's a different thing to having to put someone on. Yeah. Mm. What did you, I guess when Aguero came on, Jack, you must have thought the script here. Yeah, I, I, I partly did think that, but then at the same time, I thought, well, you had De Bruyne in that position, but at this, both times in their careers, I would still put more money on De Bruyne than something happened. Than Aguero, so Aguero does love playing Chelsea, though. He does, he, he does. But then, if you're resorting to long balls into the box and long throw-ins in the last ten minutes, you got Aguero on. I know he can pop up in the yeah. air, rebound, but that's still not the right tactics for him. And by that Sorry. point, we were in full defense mode, where there was no space for them to play in at all. Before we get on to United, Jack, we'll let you uh, sign us off. Anything else you want to say about? Uh, Chelsea, your feelings towards this team and everything else to do with the cup final, the uh, the floor is yours. I just think it's really interesting to watch because when we won in 2012, and like, because it was the first one, it was so special and it, it felt like the end of something beautiful with Czech, Terry, Terry Lance, Drogba and Ashley Cole. And it felt like this was like the jewel in the crown of the crowning era. And it was great to watch in the way we won it. But to Watch us win it and never look like we were losing in this Champions League run where I think we've conceded the fewest amount of goals on any Champions League run of any team. We only trailed for about five minutes, apparently, as well, which I've also seen banded around today. It seems like the start of something amazing instead of the end, which is probably more exciting, if that makes sense. Um, I just, I'm looking forward to next season to see what happens because I mean, why wouldn't you be excited for the next season we'll get into Chelsea next season do Chelsea now have just have to sack a manager to win the uh, to win the Champions League it's, it's, it's funny I've got it in my notes that like giving a manager time that's an absolute myth like, when, <laughs> you've, you've given Ollie time and like if you've hired Tuchel what could have happened you know did you see the thing that was shared there was an Arsenal poll where Someone had asked, would you take Thomas Tuchel right now? And the poll was 78% no. We were 15th at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there you oh go. One of Gothel TK opened up a rapper. He's having a snack. It's not me for um, once. All right, Goff, we will get on to uh, the Europa League. The headline here, should De Gea change his name to Disgusting after his performance against Villarreal? So Villarreal beat Manchester United in an epic penalty shootout in the Europa League final in Poland on Wednesday night after the match finished 1-1 in regular time and extra time. If Much like with Jack, we kind of go through the talking points, Goff. Pre-game, Maguire didn't make it. I guess you weren't expecting that. The two big ones... De Gea starts over Henderson and Fred is dropped to the bench. How were you feeling about those two decisions pre-game? To be fair, I've, I was going into the game saying that I wasn't overly confident just 
I think someone from work is a massive Leicester fan and we were just having this chat. Obviously, they just won the, the FA Cup and he was saying there's no way that United aren't losing that game. And I was just saying, like, for a start, we aren't keeping a clean sheet because it's United, especially without Maguire. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really expecting too much anyway. Uh, yeah, it's not, I, 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 I think I'm still processing. I would have gone with Henderson, but that's easy for me to say when we've been using De Gea as our cupkeeper, really, anyway. So it would have been a bit disrespectful to drop him for the final. So I can understand why Ollie's put him in. How did you feel about Fred dropping to the bench, going with quite with uh, quite an attacking team? I guess you would say. Yeah, I suppose it was similar to like the Pep scenario, isn't it? Where okay, we still have McTominay, who's supposedly there to to help uh, protect that defence. But I'm to be honest, I'm not a massive fan of Fred anyway. No, but I saw United I, fans kind of rejoicing that. Yeah, Fred wasn't I wasn't. Starting. I wasn't overly worried. When you look at the teams on paper, you still see you've, you've, you're starting Pogba, Bruno, and McTominay as, as your middle three. You shouldn't really, no disrespect to Villarreal, we, we shouldn't be no, no. <laughs> being walked I off the park there. But yeah, it's um, just, I think you can explain that one as well in terms of the. You're probably thinking, right, Villarreal are going to be defensive, we have to break them down. Fred probably isn't our guy for this. So I, I can see the logic behind it. Yeah, if it wasn't like a new out. system like City were doing, it was just changing mm. the parts. Yeah, Pog was more comfortable on the ball. Fred doesn't offer too much going forward. Yeah, so it makes complete sense. If, if this is this result had happened with Fred starting, it would have been oh, what's he doing? You don't need Fred <laughs> and McTominay both in there. <laughs> yeah. So, nervy half an hour, nothing really much happening, no real chances. Villarreal did look like they could progress the ball quite well when they did get on it. Um, I believe it was Cavani gives away a cheap free kick. Um, on the edge of the uh, penalty area, that gets flicked in uh, and Moreno taps it in. Uh, something with Emery, he spoke a bit after the game and uh, in interviews since where he was saying about how vindicating this is. And he, and he said, my source went to the players. Um, he was getting them in on like a Monday morning at six o'clock in the morning so they could already start being in the film room drilling game plans for the Europa League the way they were going through this season and he is a guy who is very much drills to each individual opponent sometimes too much when say you know, a bigger team with Arsenal where all those kind of things I think he this is the right kind of club for him um, they get the lead which I guess the last thing United wanted is to be chasing the game but pretty early in the second half United get back on level terms. Pre-game, for those that saw it, and I'm sure you've all seen the quotes now, Paul Scholes was very dismissive about the chances of the Villarreal. Um, I saw some say that he was talking about them like they were Spanish Burnley. Um, <laughs> not a team that, he said there was no leadership in there. There was no winners. You have, you have a World Cup winner in there. You have a La Liga winner. They just basically, mm. standard BT yeah. really. Um mm. I'd imagine, Goff, even as pessimistic as you may be, once you get back level, you do certainly feel like the game's going one way rather than the other. Oh, 100%. Especially the way, obviously, it's gone with most United games this season where we've yeah. been so poor in the first half. Um, it did baffle me a bit with the media where they... All right, yes, Villarreal were, what, the seventh best team in Spain? 
but they were yeah. making out as though they were like some sort of minnows which nobody had ever heard of and they'd mm-hmm. I don't know come from like Andorra yeah. or some random country <laughs> you know what I mean they kept I was saying doing that oh, after they just knocked us out <laughs> yeah but yeah they started a small town of 50,000 people and so that did baffle me a bit but yeah you're right when we equalised I, I kind of only saw the game going one way um, yeah. I think our biggest what we did wrong there what the way we shot ourselves in the foot is up to that goal, we were absolutely dominating the game in that second half. And as soon as we scored, we just kind of set back, uh, sat back mm-hmm. and that obviously allowed Villarreal to yeah, take many teams control do of the that. game. Yeah. Yeah, we've commented um, on it before, haven't we? That, yeah. like, or, or sometimes if it's like 2-0 and some, a team will get back to 2 all, and then for whatever reason we'll stop doing everything they were doing and when they could have gone on and won it and just they just don't. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah in fairness... There isn't really much else to speak about for all the rest of normal time and extra time. I guess the only That's real thing you'd watch. say... You're not going to mention the lack of subs by Oli. This was... Yeah, this mm. is my uh, point. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, the lack of subs. Villarreal used their five subs in normal time. Uh, you then get an extra substitution in extra time, which does seem bold when you've already had five, but <laughs> that's why that's why you have the squad size, I guess. Um Ollie seemed very reluctant to do so, and even then the changes he did make were a little perplexing. Um, do you think if you're a player on the bench at that point, it's hard to get hyped up? I know you're in a European final, but you must have the feeling that he doesn't really trust you because you're almost on as a last resort at this point, not because he feels you can impact the game. You're essentially on as fresh legs rather than a game changer. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think, obviously, Rashford played awfully um yeah well that's what yeah his performances this season i'm i'm always going to back him up at the end of the day but he played absolutely he he was trying but yeah you can only try so much i thought the most sensible thing to do as time went on would to to be bringing on like dan james or even ahmad i know he's very the changes you made um 10 minutes in to extra time Ollie makes his third substitution, and that's Fred on for Greenwood. Um, he then brings on two and Zabi for Eric Bailly. We shouldn't gloss over him trying an overhead kick clearance in the <laughs> box, by the way. Um, uh, Dan James comes on for Pogba, who looked a little too chirpy going off, not to be full Graham Soonis on him, but he certainly wasn't gutted. He wouldn't be able to take a penalty. Um wow. Alex Tellez comes on for McTominay. I guess that was thinking to do with the penalties. And one uh, matter comes on for one uh, Bissaka, probably for similar reasons. Um, I know it's easy to say now that Dean Henderson should come on for the penalties. Do you think it's very rare, like Van Hal doing that as much as it seems an obvious choice? We talk about it because it is such a rarity. Do you think Ollie was ever even considering making that change? No. You've got, like you said, that that incident with Van Hal was what the first time anybody had ever really seen anybody do that. Um, so, yeah, I think that was just kind of a one-off. It's, yeah. it's easy to say now, and it's easy to say yeah. as time goes on towards penalties, oh, yeah, just pull off a Van Hal. But also... It's like, yeah. Is Henderson like a renowned good penalty stopper? Exactly. exactly. He, I think, he, I his record is, is very good. In the is it? League, okay. Is it like six? I think it's like, it's like, it's it's like 80% of the penalties he's faced he's saved. 
okay. But again, I, I think it's very easy to to say that in hindsight. I think mm. Ollie's made the decision to stick with De Gea. He's obviously just decided to go through with it. Um, obviously, De Gea's penalty record is absolutely awful. But uh, well, Henderson's performance against uh, Liverpool essentially was as big of a stock-dropping game as we've seen in quite some time. I mean, mm-hmm. we came on here a week later and TK, TK was the objection, I think. But he didn't make our England squad and we did it collectively and that was the weekend after the game. Jesus Christ. Um, does he make it now that Pope's out well? Yeah, for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Pope... Pope was out at that stage, I think. I think we had... Who was he? <laughs> oh, no, I think we had Pope, didn't we? I'm not Make sure. I'll have to double-check our squad. Yeah, I know we had... Um, Pickford is the only keeper. <laughs> we were debating Johnston and McCarthy at one stage over... Uh, Fierce debate, that one. He got that hand. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll check back on that. But um, So, yeah, that, that change is made. We go into the penalties... And myself, Rory and Connor were in the chat. I think I predicted every Villarreal player was going to miss. Uh, <laughs> very out of out of sorts for me, I'm sure you'd agree. But we had some very good penalties. And then, okay, no, Pope was in our England team. So there we go. Um, <laughs> That's a relief. The lone reply to the squad, McCarthy instead of Henderson, you boys all right. Chose not to reply. Um yeah, the penalties are very good. The, the few that weren't, it was a bad look for the keepers because it did look like if you got it on target, it was going to be going in. But the likes of Coquelin, um, the likes of the uh, the other players on the pitch that we perhaps would, would be nervous for, really were great. It, it was more top corners you were seeing than, than many other penalty shootouts you'll see. It's one yeah, of the best like, I've ever seen. You've seen like the centre back <laughs> to right back just pinging them top corner. So even their goalie when he steps up, <laughs> pinged it. This this is the longest penalty shootout in the history of a final of a major European competition, um, with twenty two taken, twenty one scored. The previous record was fourteen penalties in the two thousand eight Champions League final, which we do is worth mentioning just because of. Uh, the way Jack's been today, um, if you want to remember <laughs> that one. And the 2001 uh, final between Bayern Munich and Valencia. So both had 14 taken there. Um, in fact, in major European competition history, there have only been five shootouts to go past 10 kicks. De Gea has now conceded his last 40 penalties in a row. Oh, my word. That's very, very bad reading, isn't it? Even by accident, uh, you save one of those. I mean, <laughs> it just hits you. Petr Cech was bad for us. He did save one against Troy Deeney, which some Arsenal fans took as like just the saving grace. I think you could have sent Petr Cech out here immediately after Stephen Hunt's finished with him and he saves one. <laughs> De Gea the, the it was disgraceful. He saved, he saved three in Champions League finals. What well, I just said. He was bad for us. Yeah. He was, he's one of the worst keepers I've ever seen in an Arsenal shirt. And I lived through Vito Manoni, Fabianski and Armunia being the three <laughs> keepers at the club at one stage. I, I also think pointing out how good he was for Chelsea probably only adds to Luke's misery. Yeah. Probably only adds yeah. to his view on Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
De Gea here was awful. And then I guess when he's stepping up, was anyone really confident that De Gea was going to stroke that? I, in the I next? don't think I've ever seen someone look so white. Yeah, I've never been so, more convinced someone's missing for sure. Even, even the way, even the way he just walked up to the spot, it just looked like he wanted. It looked like his legs were just going to go. He'd almost apologise before taking it. Yeah, yeah. I saw United. Uh, sorry, a lot of journalists say, and I, I think Goth would probably agree here. Not many United fans would have blamed him for missing, but the way he was going for saving the other penalties is what he's getting the stick for. His job. Like if he saves yeah. three, United miss three penalties, and it's his penalty that he misses for United to lose. Mm, no yeah, one's yeah, really yeah. No. putting the criticism his way, but the feeble nature of which he was going for some of them. Like, I mean, that's... Get... Sorry. I was about to say, let's face it, it's, it's normally a free swing for a keeper and a shootout. Normally, if they make a save, they're great as a hero. If not, we'll allow it because, look, then they shouldn't save the planet. It's, it's too hard. It's but, worse when so you're the, the right way, just getting nowhere near it. Was like, I think like, when, the, when their keeper been... just pinged it top corner as well, that's obviously <laughs> got on his head like, oh, shit. He's got, I haven't got that in my locker. <laughs> no. well, everyone has said, didn't they, you're a keeper, you're a good hitter of the ball. Put your foot through it. If you go over, fair enough. Like, yeah. Joe Hart, we used to like watching him take penalties, whether it's the under-21s or whatever, <laughs> because he just levered it as, you, as a keeper should. Yeah, yeah, they, you yeah. see it with centre-backs when they step up. Like, that's what you want to see, not try and place it in the bottom corner. They Especially after keepers, seeing their keeper has dived on every single one as well. So you know he's yeah. not going to stay. They say that keepers take penalties like they're goal kicks, and that's exactly what happened with the Villarreal keeper. I remember yeah. Jordan, Jordan Pickford in the Nations League, he did the same thing where he just yeah. goal kicked it straight into the top corner. And like you mentioned with Joe Hart. So what? Why don't you one, just... one club in the bag, isn't it? Just to drive yeah, the it. way De Gea did it. Do you remember when uh, FIFA first changed the penalties and you essentially were so delicate that you just thought, get it on target, and that was all you really <laughs> thought about and hope the other person dived? And De Gea must have just been thinking, don't kick it wider over. Yeah. And so he probably was quite chuffed with himself that it's yeah. on target. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. If we'd done the topic today, uh, Naomi Osaka has just withdrawn from the French Open. Yeah, I've seen that. Mm. It is, I mean, I would have enjoyed talking about that today, to be fair. But we've got plenty more to get into. So with, with De Gea, then Goff, I don't know how you all feel with keepers. It's worse if you go the right way, isn't it, and don't save it. It looks worse than if you go the wrong way. Because the amount of times the keepers were getting like a fingertip on it, and then you don't keep it out. And it's a bad look when one of the main things you want as a keeper is to have strong hands. Mm. No, I agree, so, yeah. If, if you're going the wrong way, then that's fair enough. You've, you've made your 50-50 decision whilst facing, haven't you? But if, you, if you're going the right way, you've got to get something on it. I, I thought with De Gea as well, I thought, I thought with the Villarreal keeper, you had a couple of ones where you just thought soft hands. I thought with De Gea, he was doing the thing people used to accuse uh, Peter Shilton of, where he would wait until he knew where they were doing it because he didn't want to go the wrong way and look stupid in his mind. But by waiting so long, he would go the right way but just couldn't get anywhere near enough to it to actually stop the penalty. And he saved like three and 20 years or however long he played. And his record probably only get beaten by De Gea, I imagine. 
he had the drinks bottle with all the directions to go on as well. It makes it worse the fact that he kept doing the, the attempt to psych him out as well. <laughs> yeah. It was never working. This is not happening. The League Cup final um, where it was United Spurs. And people were amazed that Ben Foster had that tablet, didn't he? It was around tablets first were becoming a thing. And he had the footage of the, the way keepers were going. Yeah. People oh, were really like, amazed. Doing drugs in the goal. <laughs> I mean... Dropped a speed tablet just before that, that's and he's Spurs keeper. <laughs> so this means United have now lost six of their last seven penalty shootouts in our competition, beating Jeez. only Rochford in a third round League Cup tie in twenty nineteen during this period. I think I think it's it's sad. But you see I... that. Go on. <laughs> I was gonna say you see that and this to start I didn't mention earlier actually was um it was only the, the second time Pep's lost in a cup final. So you've got quite the opposites. That one means you look at it and think he should know what he's doing in a cup final. And this one, he probably shouldn't have expected much less from United after seeing that. And they did mention the stat in game about De Gea's penalty record. That was so, <laughs> we shouldn't have expected much more, I guess. Um, so this means now that United have not won a title of any kind in four seasons since last lifting the Europa League trophy in the 16-17 campaign under Jose Mourinho. Um, Goff, I saw some saying that it's undoubtable that United have made progress under Oli, but this trophy was a chance to prove it. So all you've got otherwise is kind of meaningless words of look we've improved enough to come closer but still not winning anything are you all in or Ollie out out of interest I've I've always lent more towards Ollie and I'm still going to stay in that camp for now um, like you said it, it's undoubtable it's undoubtable that you can see from when he took over to where we are now we have made improvements as time goes on but you can only that can only take you to a certain point like Premier League, for example, obviously third last season, second this season. Obviously, there were variables, yeah. what with Liverpool and, and whatnot. So where does that then leave us for next season? If you're going to improve again, that means you'd have to come first. Is that going to happen? No. So, yeah, the, the trophy would have been a great chance to kind of, not not paper over the cracks, but kind of just prove to everyone, oh, look, this, this is working. Um, yeah. It just leaves us in an interesting position going into next season now is to if if there's another season where not like no silverware comes to us then you've got to then start probably thinking okay Oli's done what he has been able to do but is it enough to t- then take us to that next level well i know we were going to do the what does each team need i know we spent longer on each cup final so i don't know if um if we do the transfer gossip and then, Goff, if you want to come back on when we do what does each team need and we can do United then. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll do a kind of a whole pod of United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea. Um, so I do have the transfer gossip, but as long as that's okay with everyone else. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Um, I know uh, I've been keeping you boys a long time over the last couple of weeks. So uh, have a nice rounded out pod. Do have some good transfer gossip, though. So we'll go through and give our take on what we see here. And I guess that'll tie into some of what each team needs as well. Um, breaking news, Ward Prowse set to miss out on England Euro 2020 spots. So the Mirrors take then that article they've done where they say Trent's missing out and Ward Prowse is in. 
looks like none of these journalists really know much of what's going on. That's from The Athletic as well. I can give you this news now. I have seen a lot on Twitter at the moment of Trent so not making this it. This has just come from uh, Ornstein. James Ward-Prowse facing Euro 2020 agony as Southgate's final 26-man England squad looks set to comprise midfielders from clubs who finished higher in the Premier League, including Jordan Henderson despite injury layoff. Oh, boy. Well, they've done that just to kind of get a bit of smoke on Henderson. <laughs> 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 not making the squad. Um, all right, first bit of transfer gossip then. Chelsea are ready to re-sign into Milan striker Romelu Lukaku this summer with the Italian club prepared to listen to offers for the 28-year-old Belgian to ease their financial concerns. I guess if you want an outlet, Jack, that's he's the type of guy you'd, you'd, you'd be wishing for. But yeah. it does seem like that would present quite a, a difference in tactics as to what we referenced earlier. I don't know. I mean, watching him this season, actually, I actually have watched a lot of Italian football weirdly because there's been nothing else to do with lockdown. He's great. He's improved his touch so much. That, oh, for sure. But I mean, he's um, not like he's he's not your your floating striker that you referenced earlier. Not, he, he's no, more no, of a lazy right. to say target man, but you know what I mean. He's, he's I, I know, certainly know, a focal point for the attack. I know exactly what you mean. I think to be fair, like the ones the strikers that we would be trying to go after whether we get them is a whole different story but if you looked at Harlan, Lukaku and Kane obviously that's never going to happen but if you were looking at those that want potential on the market they are the bigger normal strikers which I think exactly what we need when we think that there's been so many times where someone's whipped it in and it's been a brilliant ball and no one's been in the middle because they've all been like way over the pitch um, and if a chance falls to either one of Harlan, Kane or Lukaku you're betting on it going in the net the one thing that Lukaku did at United for all of his criticisms was put the ball in the net consistently and mm. that's exactly what this Chelsea team is lacking. And if there's one criticism of this year is that we create so much but score so few, um, Lukaku would be perfect for that because if a ball drops to him, you put in a lot of money on him burying it. Um, as much as it sounds like there's going to be a raid on Inter, um, I don't think they're going cheap. I mean... Uh, Hakimi is the highest profile one that's been linked with the move so far. And they say they're not expecting less they're not accepting less than sixty million for him. And that's for a right back. To be fair, I think that's like about the going right now when you look at how the well, how you look at the rest of the fees and they do seem to be slightly lower by the fact yeah. that everyone's kind of accepting we're in a diminished market and so the thing is though, with um especially when you sell to an English club, you get a premium put on top because of the deal that we've got with the TV rights, but and they know that we will pay it because we, we always do. So they know you'll but pay it. If if, if you kind of <laughs> like if, if you want to sell Hakimi, you say right sixty million is your starting bet. Someone will go in at forty, whereas you say forty is your starting bet. Someone goes in at twenty five. So, so this is the same team that tried to keep Bellerin from us on loan. <laughs> <laughs> the disrespect we face from looking at the way infrastructure is well, like. The way that with the Chinese businessmen and they're being cold back, I think they're losing like half the equity or something and they haven't got proper funding for it, which is why Conte's left because he's, he's gone and won in the league. And they said, we like, do like a up. Lord's Prayer or something here. Don't just pray he doesn't go Spurs. <laughs> oh, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> that would be horrible. Um, but yeah, like I reckon they will break up that team because I just don't think they've got the money to like 
stop it yeah. from happening. Uh, I think, look, and to go back to your question, yeah, I think Lukaku is pretty much bang on what we need. Just someone who will put the ball in there. Well, we're just going to have so, Ericsson and Poch back at Spurs and we're just going to be like, the last couple of years just didn't happen. It's just, yeah. as, as you were, lads. Yeah. Well, supposedly they need to raise 80 million in transfers and maybe their thinking is, if you can get that mainly through one of Lukaku or Hakimi, then you don't need to break up the squad as much as yeah, they thought before. Yeah. I imagine um, Hakimi is the one that they would rather sell. Yeah, for sure. Um, Manchester United have agreed personal terms of Jadon Sancho but yet to make a formal bid for the Dortmund and England winger. Um, we're <laughs> we're, we're back again, aren't we? <laughs> Here we go again. Is, are you are you reading last year's uh, transfer? <laughs> no, this is from this this is no earlier than Saturday's gossip column I've taken here. Um, Tottenham were working on a double appointment of Antonio Conte as a manager alongside former Juventus sporting director Fabio Paratici as director of football. I can't see Levy handing over that level of control, can you? Certainly no, not to a director of football alongside Conte. No, I'm, I'm not sure he's jumping from Mourinho to Conte. I'm not sure he is. Paratici also is, is the guy who's got the highest stats of any director of football and football manager. It, it, <laughs> he's going to have the pick of where he wants to go to. If, if Conte threw his toys out the pram... Chelsea second season because we wouldn't back him financially and now Inter. And he's, What's he going to do at Spurs? <laughs> supposedly, he's, he's turned down Madrid. So that's interesting. You're not turning down Madrid to go to Spurs, though, surely? <laughs> well, Zidane, Zidane came out today and said the reason he's leaving is because he didn't feel he had the trust of the board there. He said, every time I lost a game, I look at the papers the next day and they've leaked something there saying, if he loses his next game, he's being sacked. He said that that doesn't help the team, doesn't help me. Why would I stick around and deal with that? So, yeah, it's kind of the gig, mate. Yeah, <laughs> um, Jack, you'll enjoy this one. Tottenham are also planning a surprise move for Chelsea's German defender Antonio Rudiger, though they could face competition from Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, Rudiger really to Spurs. He ain't going anywhere. Not after the second half of this season. Um, it's, the only way I can think of it is if we we said right okay we'll give you Rudiger but plus cash we want Kane um, which is never going to happen I, I just don't see any transfers between Chelsea and Spurs really famous last I like time. the thought of even Spurs going in for like a Villa player this summer and then saying <laughs> we'll give you him and some cash for Kane yeah <laughs> well for Target well look yeah. it's, a, it's a bargain mate <laughs> If you're not listening to Spitballing Pod, you're taking on a Reese James. <laughs> uh, Arsenal will have to pay Real Madrid 60 million euros for Norwegian midfielder Martin Erdegaard, who they're keen on signing on a permanent basis after his loan spell. I think I've asked you this before, TK. Now the season's over, what price are you putting on Erdegaard? If, uh... You did ask me, and I can't remember what answer I gave you. I think at the time you said no more than 40. I just wondered if that's changed in terms of what we need. Um... I'd probably go with that. If if yeah. if Real Madrid say they want fifty for him, Norwich are saying forty for Buendia, which which would you do? Okay, in that case, I'd go with fifty for him and just just go it. I, that was not to be disrespectful to Buendia, but no, I, I think we could do it both. To be fair, um, 
Arsenal Swiss midfielder Granite Xhaka says he's flattered by interest from Roma manager Jose Mourinho that's happy at the London club. Uh, this one that seems to be picking up traction. I perhaps didn't expect him to be one of the first names for all I've said about him. There's, there's probably some bigger issues you want to get off the books, but Arsenal fans here have been complaining after seeing Chelsea win the Champions League and big changes being needed, but are then crying at the thought of Granit Xhaka leaving Arsenal. It's, it's a <laughs> very odd budget. I can't um, get my head around it. I know we've spoken about this, TK, that Arsenal fans do seem very mixed in this. So the fee that's being spoken about at the moment is around 17 to 20 million pounds. Um, there are Arsenal fans that think you can get upwards of 30, which is never happening. He's 28 years old. He's got two years left in his contract. Um, and so this is the most you're going to get for him. He hasn't had a bad season by his standards. He's certainly had his moments to come to Burnley. But he's what you consider, even saying that, a reliable midfielder. He's very rarely injured. Um, you know what you're getting from him. Jose, when he was at Spurs, actually did a whole press conference and he said, for you to see truly what Granite Jacket does, I would need to give you my eyes to see it properly. Um, which I don't know if that's a compliment to Jack or not. But he's certainly been keen on him for a while. Unai Emery picked him, Arteta picked him, Wenger picked him. I think now's the time to move on. That's as good a sign of any that you're kind of changing the guard. And if at Arsenal, it does mean you're probably going to sign another midfielder. So I'm all for him leaving. As for the price of players this window, I'm not too fussed. The window, the window we're in, players are going to go for less. And I guess as a selling club, you hope when it comes to you being on the buying end, you're going to be afforded the same luxuries with the cut price. But we'll see whether we get there. Is it, are any of you saying Arsenal shouldn't sell Shaka? By the way, I don't know if we've got any oddities in here. I am, just because I like watching him play for Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he dominated you twice this season. As I tweeted as I tweeted on Saturday, we're unbeaten against the European champions this season. Make of that what you will. Um, I left go Madrid Spanish midfielder Salni Gez, 26, will push for a move to Manchester United ahead of Juve or PSG in a summer window. For all of the striker shouts and winger shouts, when you look at a decision as to well, like us talking about whether Fred should have been starting the European final, I guess it's fair to say United do need a central midfielder this window, wouldn't you say, Goff? I guess it's good to bolster the squad in that area, isn't it, when you've got no one else to come in? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that's why, well, in theory, why Donny was brought in, but he obviously hasn't, for whatever reason, he couldn't stepped even up get on the in the final. Exactly. So, He's had a rough year. Yeah, you don't want it to be another Donny situation, but... At the same time, yeah, it's, it's useful to have that squad. Otherwise, you're 98 minutes into a European final without bringing anyone on again, aren't you? So, I know his, yeah. his form's left a lot to be desired this season, but Thomas Partey seemed such an obvious pickup for United at the time that I was convinced the whole time they would go in and do it. So I'm just mm. grateful they didn't. Um, I was still fuming we, like, never got, we never went for Tielemans when he went to Leicester. Obviously, your, hey, your, we, your football manager, football manager, Days yeah. Byron. We got Xhaka over Kante, so it happens to the best of us. <laughs> I saw a Bleacher Report article earlier from uh, the year after saying, whilst Wenger was right to sign uh, Xhaka over Kante, there were stories <laughs> at the time, 
Kante's brother is his agent, isn't he? Am I not mistaken? Do you know that, Jack? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure he was one of them where the brother asks for like a certain fee and Arsenal being one of those clubs seems to think they don't have to play the dirty game and at a principle you you don't pay it. Whereas like like in recent times they've learned to play that game a little too much, which is why we get a player like William. (laughs) Only consolation I had actually Saturday was thinking about how unhappy he must have been <laughs> watching Chelsea lift the trophy. Um, yeah, Villarreal's Europa League winning Spain striker Gerard Moreno is in a, is attracting interest from West Ham, Newcastle and Roma. Jose just tried to build the biggest shithouse team in all of Italy. <laughs> I, I will say, I do think Granit Xhaka would do a great job in Italy with that extra bit of time with the ball at his feet so I can see what the move appeals to him um, Watford want to sign striker Elian Ketia for their Premier League return Arsenal want 15 million for the England Youth International who has a year left on his deal I do think that's fair when you look at the Rian Brewster price <laughs> hopefully they'll probably haven't put everyone else off uh, paying for these young strikers it never um, needs Watford want to go back to the Championship yeah <laughs> uh, Manchester United are keeping tabs on Juventus and Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo with the Italian club open to offering the 36-year-old in exchange for France midfielder Paul Pogba. Take this guy we don't want anymore. Also take his half a million a week wages and we'll take maybe your best technical midfielder. That sound like a good deal? That would be the most Glazer transfer (laughs) since they took over, I think. So, oh yeah, this Ronaldo guy was good for us before. Like he's a he's a club legend. Let, let's just get him. Yeah, I'm sure Cristiano tickles your plums every transfer window since he let since he since he was even with at Madrid. Um, it seems to be a recurring theme. Tottenham are interested in Manchester City's Brazil striker Gabriel Jesus, which could lead to a cash plus swap deal for England striker Harry Kane. That's hideous. Jesus, have you seen his boots, Kane? No. Are they the worst thing you've ever seen? If so, he's got is this two the, is golden. This the photo? Yeah, did you share this on Twitter or something? I yeah, he's got two golden boots stitched into his boots with the years underneath. <laughs> this man is crying out for a trophy of some real merit. <laughs> he will do anything to get it. You know, in um, Infinity War, where Thanos has to sacrifice his daughter for the uh, Infinity Stone. Kane would absolutely chuck his kid off that cliff <laughs> for, for a carabao. For a carabao board, the carabao comes up <laughs> and he can get that on his boots. Who's going to be Red Skull in that situation? <laughs> oh, Levy. No, it's uh, whoever's uh, thought about sticking around at Spurs. That's Bale probably coming back. He's <laughs> signing and he can't get out. Um, Former England and Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson is on the shortlist to take over again at West Brom following the departure of Sam Allardyce. Has anyone else had the illusion that he was just leaving football for good? I thought he was going off into the sunset and finally retiring. You don't, for you God's sake, Roy, to... you don't need a championship promotion fighting campaign. <laughs> Certainly not up, West Roy, Brom. It's not like he's got his feet up somewhere nice. I've been to, I've been to the Hawthorne. It's, it's not a pleasant place to be. <laughs> Ouch. Um... West Ham are emerging as favourites to sign Red Bull Salzburg Zambia striker Patson Dacker 
as they look to replace Sebastian Haller. The 22-year-old's also interested Liverpool, United and City. He's also just been top scorer in my Schalke when inside on football manager. <laughs> First season. Oh, I might beam into some applause there. Manchester City are prepared to sell England forward Raheem Sterling this summer after six years at the club. I'll ask you, TK, what fee is a fair price for Sterling? And would another top club come in for him? I mean, this this is sudden stock when it's low, isn't it? And and it's it's dropped pretty quickly. You think I think if we were having this conversation six months ago, I think we'd be saying, "No way, are they going to sell him? Is, is he going to go?" Yeah. I think it's last few months have really put a dent in it. For that reason, if I was them, I wouldn't be selling now because I think you can. I think he's only ever a small run of form from everybody. I, he can get praised for playing quite well. So yeah. and and the value going up at this point, I, is a club going to go over fifty or sixty mil for him? I don't see that they will. I remember when we, we sold him for fifty. Yeah, I remember when they were interested in Alexis Sanchez, and we apparently kind of said, "Yeah, we'll have Sterling in in uh, exchange." And before City had even had a chance to do anything, his representatives were so offended by the thought of joining Arsenal. And they contacted Sky Sports themselves to say he won't be moving to us. <laughs> <laughs> John Stones was also in that boat as well. Oh, that's rude. <laughs> um, one for you, Jack. Former Chelsea midfielder Oscar wants to return to Stamford Bridge. I see. I'm this. sure he does. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure he does. But I, I, I've seen this, and it's kind of he's, he's tweeting out, and he's uh, saying in um, the news outlets that. It's like, oh, it's a forever club in my heart. and <laughs> Incredible. I want, I want to go back there and finish my career there. And it's like, I started thinking, yeah, I, I know, mate, but that was like six, seven years ago. I'm I sure, remember last year I, I he came out. This summer. <laughs> he came out last year and says, uh, Louise and William have been contacting me telling me to come to Arsenal. These yeah. bastards. Who do they think <laughs> they are? Trying to turn this into some <laughs> Brazilian retirement home. Let's take Rivaldo while we're at it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, two more bits. Burnley boss Sean Dyche is favourite for the vacant Crystal Palace managerial role after reported contact between the clubs. Dyche has one year left on his current contract at Turf Moor. Is Dyche and Burnley just one of those matches where the one isn't going to be the same without the other? Like, is it better the devil you know kind of thing? Should should Dyche be looking elsewhere? Palace aren't giving them much more resources than Burnley are going to. That's my thing. Is it is it a huge step up going to Palace? Seems like a lot. Can you of imagine Dutch living in London? <laughs> Everything he stands for seems to be like his weird thing of like wanting to kind of like humanise himself during the pandemic. Wherever he is, he's like, "Oh, I tell you what, I'd love a pint." Am I right, lads? <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. him ordering a pint in London and then like them charging him like <laughs> seven pounds or something? How much? <laughs> Can you see that happening? It's also though the him being linked with jobs is are these things that just never go away. So you feel like at some point he's gonna bite on one of them. I think he should have been hoping this I think he probably thinks he could get something like the Wolves job. And he may have to realise soon that that's not happening. I reckon by the time 
West Ham have a horrific start next year. You nick Moyes' job. Have a look at the Spurs job. Don't you at Spurs? <laughs> Spurs fans would riot, I think. So I'm not was, saying they should, but I think they would. When I thought Roberto Martinez to Spurs was actually happening, I was cackling at work. Oh, I felt such a relief. It felt like Arsenal had won a game. <laughs> um, Frank's also been linked with the job there as well. Um, do you think Frank thought you'd have a bigger club coming in for him? I don't think so. I think I thought that made a lot of sense. I thought that was a good mm. match. I, I, I think yeah. it makes a lot. It does make a lot of sense. But then it's also risky for both as well. You could be in the Stoke camp here, where they get rid of Pulis, sign Bojan and Anatovic, and then get relegated two seasons after, after having somewhat stability from the rigorous drilling that Port Hodgson gives his team. <laughs> Good. As I was saying that, it gives you a rigorous drilling over Yeah, Frank could do a De Boer, couldn't he there? He could yeah, be trying yeah. to trying to switch it up and oh my god, I've lost seven games in a row. And, well, this Did Byron's like, book is after payout on the over four point five shout TK for Lampard accreditations after the Champions League final. Oh take it to the cleaners. Under. Take it to the cleaners. If the over ten point five market was the interesting one. The two call um, at every chance saying, like, let's not forget what Frank's done here. You know that clip that always gets shared of Pep where when he knows he's going to batter a team and he's like, they're a great, great team. He did it about Chelsea, didn't he? <laughs> he did it about Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. I remember the Cheltenham Town one. The Cheltenham fans um, are loving it. I think you should probably read between the lines here, lads. He thought he was going to batter us. <laughs> hey, he stole that long throw from somewhere. I've seen that before. That was it, his, wasn't it? He, he told Kyle Walker, look, you saw how he did it. Go on. What do you get on this lad? All I've had in my head after that interview did about Aguero, stuck in my head is him going, he is a so nice. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, last bit of gossip this week. Watford are in talks with Ashley Young's representatives over a return to Vicarage Road for the 35-year-old former Inc. winner. That would be emotional. Looks like it's happening that one. I mean, he even spoke about it himself. Said, but I wouldn't rule out staying at uh, the San Siro if uh, they offer me a contract. But like, I'm quite calm <laughs> at the moment. I think we both know. We'll have a look at the end of the season. I think Listen, when I, when I was walking through <laughs> when I was walking through Milan, I was dreaming of a return to Vicarage Road. To be honest, so <laughs> this works out great. Uh, Danny Rose is a free agent now. If they want a wing back to fill in, maybe he will get his move. Different Milan than he was expected. <laughs> so there we go. There is your transfer gossip for this week. I've got lacrosse on the TV. It was absolute carnage. Every single shot goes in. I don't know how <laughs> this is a game. It's yeah. It, I actually watched it and it's, got, it's so violent, but yet they're so accurate. I've never seen anything quite like it. Keepers, it looks like an easy job in here. For blokes who couldn't make it as a kicker in American football, just standing between <laughs> the nets here. <laughs> And just concede. Um, so, folks taking it in the head after I said about the keeper. So, there we go. Um, Goff, one day we will have you on the pod in better circumstances. Yeah. It's the opposite of Charmer, Goff. It <laughs> only comes on when United <laughs> So, there we go. Um, I think that just about does us. Hopefully, we'll have AJ back next week. Um, we'll go through what each team needs and we'll be a week a week ahead of the Euros next week so 
we'll be doing a bit of a uh, preview then, I'm sure. Um, but until then, thanks again for listening. Check out Movie Madness on Friday, as I've said. And uh, we'll be back. Goodbye.